Amen. Well, I invite you to take your copy of Scripture this morning and turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 24 to 28. Acts chapter 14. And this morning we'll focus on verses 24 to 28. As many of you know, we have been in a series in which we've been considering the theme of proclaiming the gospel how we might glorify the Lord by proclaiming the gospel. And this message this morning marks the end of this series as we've been looking at Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey in Acts chapters 13 and 14. It also marks the end of the larger series that we've been doing through the mission statement of our church. And then, Lord willing, uh, next week we will begin a Christmas series uh, in Philippians chapter 2. So looking forward to that. But this morning, our attention will be given to Acts chapter 14, verse 24 to 28. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide uh, for you, uh, you'll find our passage on page 923, page 923. So Acts chapter 14, and I'm going to be reading, uh, begin reading for us in verse 24, and I'll read through to the end of the chapter. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how He had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and it's been such a blessing to reflect over these last number of weeks and months the work that Paul and Barnabas did on their first missionary journey. And Lord, even as we wrap up this series this morning, we pray that you would continue to teach and instruct us through your word. Lord, we pray that we also, like Paul and Barnabas and the church here in Antioch, would be... Um, burden for those who have not yet heard of Christ or known Christ, that we would be faithful to share the gospel and to proclaim the gospel. And we pray that as a result, you would be glorified in us and through us. Uh, So, Father, we thank you for calling us to this great task, this great mission, and give us wisdom now as we look to your word to know how to do it most faithfully. And uh, we pray that you would empower us by your spirit as we do just that. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask it. Amen. I want to begin by posing a question. Can someone be spiritual and not be invested in a church? Can someone be, quote-unquote, spiritual and loosely affiliated with Christ's church? Maybe another way to put it, another angle to look at it, is the church a human institution, or is it a divine institution? Is it a human creation, or is it a divine institution? Someone might say, and maybe you've heard this before, maybe you've said this yourself, I'm all about Jesus, but I'm not really about the church. And that sounds spiritual sometimes, if someone says it maybe the right way at the right time, but is it right How should we think about the church, and how should we relate to the church? More importantly, how would Jesus have us think about the church? 
And how would the scriptures have us to relate to the church? Of course, there are many ways to answer these questions, and there's much more than, uh, that I could say on this topic than I have time for this morning. But our text this morning reminds us that God has determined that His church will be the primary vessel through which He accomplishes His mission in the world. Of course, we know that all Christians are called to God's mission to make disciples of all nations. So, Jesus' last words to His disciples is recorded in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. There we read, all authority, this is Jesus speaking to His disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And not only has God revealed his mission to make all disciples or to make disciples of all nations, he has also revealed in his word that the people and vessels through which he will accomplish this mission is his church. Therefore, if a Christian lives a life intentionally disconnected from Christ's church, they will dramatically limit their ability to fully participate in his mission. Or now, let me state it more positively. If a Christian lives a life intentionally connected to Christ's church, they will dramatically enhance their ability to fully participate in Christ's mission. So do you want to be a follower of Jesus? Do you want to be on His mission? Do you want to make disciples of all nations? Then, my friends, invest yourself Invest your life in a biblical, healthy, local church. In our text this morning, we will observe the relationship between the missionaries Paul and Barnabas and their home church, their sending church. More specifically, we will see that God accomplishes His mission to take the gospel to the nations through the relationship between the missionary and their sending church. Let me repeat that again, okay? What we will see in our text is that God accomplishes His mission to take the gospel to the nations through the relationship that exists between the missionary and their sending church. So let's look at our text this morning, and we will see Paul and Barnabas' relationship with the church in Antioch. And as we do so, I want us to focus on three points. First of all, we'll see a journey back home or a journey back to their home church. Secondly, we will, receive, we will see a report to their home church. And then third, we will see an extended stay with their home church. Okay, so as we look at this relationship that Paul and Barnabas have with their home church, their sending church, we will see a journey back, a report to, and an extended stay with their home church. So first of all, look there in verses 24 to 26, and we see a journey back to their home church. Look there in verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adelia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So these verses record their journey back home. 
Now, remember that on their first missionary journey, so we're just going to do kind of a quick scan here, verses 13 and 14. Remember on their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas had specifically visited and done ministry on one island and four cities. So they visited the island of Cyprus, and then they made their way through the region of Galatia and gave special attention to the cities of Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And at that point, instead of taking kind of a shortcut home, an immediate route home, they retraced their steps and went back through the cities of Derbe, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening and encouraging the disciples there, gathering them together in churches, and appointing elders in each of those churches. So now, when we come to chapter 14, verse 21, we see that their last stop was in Antioch of Pisidia. Now, Antioch of Pisidia was the most northern point on their first missionary journey. And now, as we come to verse 24, Luke records their southward journey back down to the Mediterranean Sea. So you see there that he records in verse 24, they went through Pisidia and Pamphylia, which were two regions. Then they went through the city of Perga until they reached the port town of Adalia. And from there they set sail. That gave them access to the Mediterranean Sea. And they set sail back to their home church in Antioch of Syria. Now notice here how in our text Luke describes their home church. He says they sailed to Antioch. So this is Antioch in Syria. This is where their home church is. They sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. So here Luke is describing their home church. And what does he teach us about their home church? Their home church was those who commended them to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. That word commended there is actually the word paradidomi. It means to entrust for care or preservation, to give over, to commend, to commit. And of course, this takes us back all the way to Acts chapter 13, the beginning of Acts chapter 13, where the church in Antioch lays hands on Paul and Barnabas and prays for them and sends them out. They commend them, they commit them to the work. So if you look back at Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, you maybe just have to flip a page there in your Bible. We read the words, Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying... They laid hands on them and sent them off. So the church in Antioch was their home church. It was their sending church who had commended them, who had committed them to this gospel work and then had sent them off. You might remember the morning that I preached that passage uh, several weeks or months ago. It was a special morning for us as a church because that morning we ourselves here at Crawford Avenue were committing two of our members to a work in Southeast Asia as both Ellie's are now serving in Southeast Asia for two years as missionaries there. And we 
commended them. We committed them to the work and sent them off. Notice also in our text that it seems that the church in Antioch committed Paul and Barnabas. When they committed them, they sent them off. They committed them to a very specific work. So you see there, Luke records, they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So it seems that there was a specific work, and they had fulfilled that work. Actually, in David Peterson's very helpful commentary on the book of Acts, he writes, quote, Luke's language here helps us to understand more of the significance of the commissioning that takes place in Acts chapter 13. He records that they had been handed over to the grace of God for the work which was now completed. This suggests a very specific plan for the first missionary journey, end of quote. Of course, we don't know all the specifics, and somewhat this is speculation, but it may be that Paul and Barnabas, along with the church in Antioch, discussed and developed a plan for the first missionary journey. Where they would go and how long they would stay and their plans for sharing Christ and their desired goals. And they were committed now to this work. We see whatever work they had agreed upon, Luke tells us that Paul and Barnabas had now fulfilled that work. So the word there, fulfill, is actually plerao. It can be translated accomplished or completed. It's actually used oftentimes in reference to Old Testament prophecy. Old Testament prophecy that was recorded in the Old Testament scriptures that has now been fulfilled, completed in Christ. Paul and Barnabas here we see had fulfilled, they had accomplished, they had completed the work for which the church had sent them out. So notice here, recognize this in our text. That the work of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey begins with the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. And now it ends with the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 14. In literary terms, we would call this an inclusio. It is like bookends to the story of the first missionary journey. These are two significant events. It's to highlight this point. Two significant events in the missionary journey. It begins with the church in Antioch. It ends with the church in Antioch. And of course, this has important implications for how we understand missions. has important implications for how the church raises up and sends out and supports and receives back missionaries for the sake of God's mission. And very simply put, my friends, we want to be a church like the church in Antioch. We want to be a church that raises up and sends out and supports and receives back pastors and church planners and church revitalizers and missionaries for the sake of God's mission. To be honest... I can't do this work on my own, and you can't do this work on your own. We can only do this kind of kingdom-building, gospel-advancing, disciple-multiplying work together as a people, as a family, as a community of faith, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did Paul and Barnabas go back to the church in Antioch? Because the church in Antioch was their home church. It was their sending church. It was the church that had set them apart, that had prayed for them, that had commissioned them, that had supported them 
It was their family. And so when the mission was done, they went back home. And in so doing, Paul and Barnabas established for us a model for mission which we are to follow today. Notice, secondly, a a report to their home church. So we see a journey back to their home church, but then when they go back, what do they do? Well, secondly, we see a report to their home church. Look there in verse 27. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together, and they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So when Paul and Barnabas arrive, the church gathers, and they declare, they announce, they report to the church. And their report here we see in our text was both God-honoring, and it was Great Commission-focused. Notice it was God-honoring. They declared all that God had done with them. I. Howard Marshall, who is a New Testament scholar, writes, quote, It was natural and right that the church, which had sent them out as missionaries, should welcome them back and receive a report of their activity. The keynote of the meeting was evidently praise to God, end of quote. In other words, what had happened in these two chapters that's recorded here, what had happened on the first missionary journey, it was ultimately God's work. It was what God had done in and through them. And Paul and Barnabas were intent to give God the glory. And so it was an opportunity for Paul and Barnabas and for the church gathered as a whole to praise God, to worship and praise Him for what He had done. Notice as well that the report was a great commission focused report. You see there in the text, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the Great Commission is recorded in Matthew chapter 28, and there Jesus instructs his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus repeats these instructions in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, where he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And do you see here in the book of Acts that Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey is a pronounced example that God is fulfilling that promise? In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus doesn't just say, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, you will be. This is a promise. And God is fulfilling that promise. And he's fulfilling it specifically through Paul and Barnabas and this first missionary journey. The good news of Jesus' salvation and redemption here we see in Acts chapter 13 and 14 is clearly expanding beyond the confines of Jewish life and culture and is being received among the nations to the ends of the earth among the Gentiles. That is, those who are not Jews. In fact, this is a prominent theme, and you might argue that it is the dominant theme that marks Paul's first missionary journey. We see it over and over again in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Remember in chapter 13, verse 12, we read that on the island of Cyprus, Sergius Paulus, the Gentile proconsul, believed and was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So here we have a Gentile official who has influence and power coming to faith in Christ. Or remember in Antioch of Pisidia, when the Jews rejected Paul's message, 
Paul declared in Acts chapter 13, verse 46, we will turn to the Gentiles. And in chapter 13, verse 48, we read, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It's also happened in Iconium. In, Iconium, in uh, Luke chapter, uh, or Luke records in uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 1, that a great number of both Jews and Greeks, that is Gentiles, believed. And now when Paul and Barnabas, when, when they have the opportunity, they gather the church and they have the opportunity to share with their home church what has happened on this missionary journey, what is the one thing they highlight? What is the one thing they choose to express to, to capture what has happened on this journey? Look at it there in verse 27. They declared how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Yes, there were some ethnic Jews on this missionary journey who had believed Paul and Barnabas' message and had come to faith in Christ. But what was truly remarkable about their missionary endeavor was that so many Gentiles were now coming to faith in Jesus. The gospel was truly going to the nations. As we considered this dynamic in previous sermons, I pointed out that there's a larger principle at play here. It's this idea that those who are far off from the promises of God, those who are kind of on the outside, they are being drawn near to experience salvation by grace through faith in the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And for those of us who are Christians, we should be challenged and encouraged by Paul and Barnabas' missionary zeal to take the gospel to those who are far off, to take the gospel to those who are kind of on the outside looking in, to take the gospel to those who have not yet heard the good news of Christ's redemption. I was talking to one of our elders this last week, and he made the observation that there's a danger from some Christians who love God's Word, who love to grow in the knowledge of God's Word and understand God's Word, that we can be so preoccupied with our own growth and our knowledge of God's Word and our own spiritual well-being that we become less and less interested in the spiritual well-being of others. Of course, it shouldn't be that way, right? Of course, a greater knowledge of God's Word and love for His Word and growth, spiritual growth, should result in a greater interest and burden and concern for the spiritual well-being of others. But we can so easily get things turned around, and it doesn't always work out that way in our own lives. I know there's been times where I've been guilty of this. And so whether we are called to physically stay here and remain or to relocate and go to the nations, whether we're called to be a witness for Christ here in our own city, wherever the Lord might call us to be, we should pray that each of us, and as a church as a whole, that we would have a genuine interest in the spiritual well-being of others. 
Especially for those who are on the outside, who are far off, who have maybe never heard. And that we would be characterized like Paul and Barnabas with this great commission, evangelistic, missionary zeal to share Christ with others. Paul and Barnabas returned to the home church. And as they return to their home church, they give this report. And it is a report that honors the Lord. Look at what God has done. And it is a report that is great commission focused. This is the mission God has given us. To take the gospel to those who are far off. Those who are outside. Those who have not yet heard. And by God's grace, He is doing it. And has done it through us. Notice third, that there is an extended stay with their home church. So there's a journey back. There's a report And then third, there's an extended stay with their home church. We see this in verse 28. And they remain no little time with the disciples. Now we won't spend a whole lot of time here, but it is worth noting that when a church identifies and trains and supports and sends out one of its own, it is a joy when they return. At Crawford, we're thankful for the ongoing relationships that we are privileged to have with those who we have sent out from our body. So, for example, this last year, one of our members, uh, Kathy, who's uh, serving full-time overseas in South Asia, uh, she was home, and it was a joy to have her with us and to be with her during that time. Or even just about a week and a half ago, Clark Dixon, who years ago interned here at our church, uh, he was back in town over the Thanksgiving break, and he and I were able to get lunch and catch up, and I was able to hear about his pastoral ministry uh, in Missouri right now and how the Lord is blessing him and his wife Meredith and the work that they are doing there. As we've sent out several missionaries, even this last year, this is an area that we want to continue to develop and grow in as a church. We want to maintain strong relationships with those that we have sent out from our church, and especially with those missionaries that we have sent out from our church who are now serving on the mission field. And we're working on this, and they're helping us to understand how we can better care for them while they are away from us, so that when they return... Lord willing, it will be a joy to be reunited. And Lord willing, they will be eager to remain no little time with the disciples here at Crawford Avenue. Now, as we take a step back and we look just briefly here at what has happened in Acts chapter 13 and 14, consider how important the church is to Christ's mission. On Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, we have seen that Paul and Barnabas were sent out from a church. And in every city where they went, where the Lord blessed them with converts, we see that they planted a church. And after they had completed the work that the church had given them, they returned back to their home church. My friends, do you see? I mean, this is just one example. We're just looking at four verses here in Acts. We could look all over the New Testament, though, and see this concept repeated again and again and again. Do you see that the church is not a human creation? It is a divine institution. It is not man's idea, but God's creation. The church is God's people, and the church is God's plan through whom He will redeem the world. In the month of December, as was mentioned earlier in the service, we are collecting our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. 
And all the monies that are given to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering will go to support our Southern Baptist missionaries who are serving with the International Mission Board overseas. Of course, the offering is named after Lottie Moon, who was a missionary to China. On July 7, 1873, at the age of 32, Lottie Moon was appointed to serve in China. And from the beginning, Lottie understood how critical it was that the churches back home support her and her fellow missionaries on the field if they were to be successful in their work. And so just after a few years of her serving in China, Lottie Moon began writing letters back home to Baptist churches in America. Let me just give you a couple of excerpts from the letters that she wrote. She wrote these words in a letter dated November 4th, 1875. The harvest, quote, the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. What we find missionaries can do in the way of preaching the gospel, even in the immediate neighborhood of this city, is but as the thousandth part of a drop in the bucket compared with what should be done. Four or five laborers cannot possibly cultivate a radius of 20 miles, so cannot we, a mission of five people, do more than make a beginning of what should be done. But is there no way to arouse the churches on this subject? We implore you to send us help. Let not these heathens sink down into eternal death without one opportunity to hear that blessed gospel which is to you the source of all joy and comfort. The work that constantly presses upon us is greater than time or strength permit us to do. End of quote. Again, on November 11th, 1878, Lottie Moon wrote this letter, quote, But how inadequate our force. Here is a province of 30 million souls, and Southern Baptists can only send one man and three women to tell them the story of redeeming love. Oh, that my words could be as a trumpet call, stirring the hearts of my brethren and sisters to pray, to labor, to give themselves to this people. We are now a very, very few feeble workers, scattering the grain broadcast according as time and strength permit. God will give the harvest, doubt it not, but the laborers are so few. Where we have four, we should have not less than 100. Are these wild words? They would not seem so were the church of God awake to her high privileges and her weighty responsibilities. End of quote. Friends, you can see why the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is named after this missionary who was so burdened for the lost in China and served so faithfully for so many years there. May we, as the church of Jesus Christ, answer and he hear and answer her call. May we pray and give and send our support and even send our own to support the work that is being done overseas to proclaim the gospel among the nations. Do you want to be a faithful follower of Jesus? Do you want to be on mission, on His mission? Do you want to make disciples of all nations? Then join a healthy, biblical, local church. Invest your life in that church. And commit yourself to the mission of that church to reach your neighbors and the nations 
with the gospel. This is God's purpose and plan for us to make disciples of all peoples. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, and maybe you're even wondering, how can I get on, in on this? How can I experience God's forgiveness? How can I experience His redemption and salvation and be on mission to bring His salvation to the world? I want to just point out one other thing in the text this morning before we close. Look there in verse 27. You notice that when Paul and Barnabas give their report to the church, they report in verse 27 how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And there's the answer. There's the key. God's forgiveness and grace and salvation come to us through faith. And we've seen this all throughout Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. So when Paul and Barnabas visited the island of Cyprus, we read in chapter 13, verse 12, then the proconsul believed. That is, he had faith. He believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And when Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel in Antioch of Pisidia, in chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, Paul declared, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that is through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And then in verse 48 of that same chapter, we read that the Gentiles in Antioch responded to Paul's message. Luke records, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The same thing happened in Iconium. In chapter 14, verse 1, we read now at Iconium, they entered into uh, the Jewish synagogue and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, how does Luke describe all the churches that Paul and Barnabas have planted on their first missionary journey? Who are these churches and the people that they're made up of? Who are these people? They are those who have believed in Christ. Look there in chapter 14, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. How can you become a Christian? How can you become a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? How can you join in with God's people on this mission to make disciples of all nations? How can you experience God's salvation and redemption? The same way these early Christians did in the book of Acts. You must believe. You must place your full trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe that He is the Son of God, that He died an atoning death on the cross for your sins, and that He was raised from the dead for your salvation. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus, God will forgive you of your sins. He will transform your heart and your desires. He will use you in concert with His church to advance His mission in the world. And He will ultimately grant you eternal life where you will live with Him forever. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you too will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and praise You that what we read here in just these few verses 
has been repeated over and over and over and over again throughout history. Which is the reason why we're all here today. Churches have sent out missionaries and prayed for them and supported them and received them back and sent them out again. And it's happened over and over and over again throughout the centuries in different places, different times, different lands, but repeated again and again, which has brought us to this day where we are gathered as your church to worship you. Father, help us to be faithful to this pattern. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our church. We're thankful, Lord, that you have saved us and redeemed us in Christ. We're thankful, Lord, that you have not just left us there, but you've called us to this great mission. And Lord, we're so grateful. And Father, we do want to honor you and confess that it is what you have done, that you are raising up individuals from our own congregation to be sent out, to plant churches, to be missionaries, to take the gospel to those who have never heard, to translate the scriptures into languages where there is not a copy of your word. So, Father, we thank you for this work. Help us to be faithful to it. And, Lord, we pray that you would increase and multiply it and that you would use us for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for calling us to be your people and for your church. And we ask that you would do these things for your great namesake. And it's through Christ we ask it. Amen.